When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for the VolQuest podcast, where we dissect the biggest news items of the week. Good Tuesday morning, everybody, and welcome to the VolQuest podcast. I'm Eric Kane with Brent Hubs, Grant Ramey, Austin Price, and it's brought to you by Exterior Home Solutions. Give them a call today for a free estimate, 865-524-5888, 865-524-5888. A whole lot to get into here today. A lot went on news-wise this past week, and I figure we go ahead and start with the man that sat outside the room for 48 hours, Brent <laughs> Hubs in Cincinnati. Have you recovered just yet from the NCAA hearing? I have, and, and thankfully I did not meet with the house detective and go up and drink some bad milk in a hotel room. Um, <laughs> So somebody will get that reference, but not many people. I got a good chuckle out of out of Grant Ramey there, so that was good. Knockout uh, drops. Knockout <laughs> drops. Knockout drops is exactly right. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was long, but uh, it was a situation where um, I learned a lot in terms of how all the procedure works, and um, I thought the NCAA might run Adam Sparks and I off the floor or, or down the hallway somewhere, but we basically were – I don't know, 15 feet or so from the closed door deal. You couldn't hear anything, but but you got the chance every time they took a break uh, to, to see everybody come out, try to read body language and, and try to figure some of that stuff out. And and now you play the waiting game. Obviously, there's going to be some rumors and things that are, that are floating around out there. Uh, as I've stated from, you know, for a while now, I mean, I think Tennessee is fully anticipating a fine um, a pretty steep fine. I don't know if it's $10 million. I think that's probably on the high end based on uh, everything else that has been um, kind of previously done out there with other schools. Um, but a fine is coming, and I, I think some more scholarship reductions of some kind. And uh, we'll see on the on the postseason ban. It certainly doesn't feel like that's the direction that thing is going. I think Greg Sankey's appearance there, even though the SEC is at those meetings, um, you know, the fact that he was there and was huddled up with Tennessee as much as he, he was, I don't think is a bad thing for Tennessee. Um, and, and again, I, I think that um, Dondi Plowman, you know, represented Tennessee well. She obviously works the room. She knew half the committee, I think, uh, from other committees she had been on and, and things she had been a part of. And I don't think Jeremy Pruitt tried to just absolutely destroy Tennessee. Um, I, I don't think he... I mean, I'm not saying he didn't defend himself because he did, but I don't think in his defense of himself, it was some effort to absolutely eviscerate Tennessee. Yeah, and I think that that was from the urging of people around Coach Pruitt. Like, you know, even if he wanted to try to, you know, go after one or two individualized people, Brent, I think that, you know, getting this behind him and getting back to the to the field as quick as possible, you know, I think everybody anticipates a show cause. Is that one year, three years, five years, whatever it is, he needs to get the clock started, um, you know, so he can get back to the field. And so I think that's probably by design a little bit, you know, trying to play nice and, and not going there guns a blazing, trying to burn the house down. And, you know, when, when you look at Tennessee, 
I mean, the fans, the common fan, isn't ever going to see the money, isn't ever going to see um, the scholarship productions unless it would just be so steep that you would run, be running with, you know, 70 scholarship guys for two or three years, and that's not going to be the case. So, you know, giving a few more scholarships and giving, giving a few million dollars is something the fans aren't going to see, so they don't care. The only thing they would see is not being able to go to a bowl game. Yeah, and, and I thought it was interesting, too. And, and I mean, Jeremy Pruitt brought a very experienced legal team with him uh, from Birmingham uh, who has been a part of some NCAA negotiations. Right? <clears throat> um, you know, yeah. I mean, one of the, one of the one of the his lawyers, one of the chief negotiators in, in the Cam Newton case and, and some other uh, cases involving some coaches and things like that. So, um you know, that, that tells you that he knew some kind of penalty. I mean, nobody thought he was going to get off, you know, without any kind of penalty. Now, do you appeal? Can you negotiate? And, and what do you get in terms of trying to minimize that, that impact of that punishment? What Austin talked about with the stuff that fans see, my uneducated view of this is if the NCAA comes after Tennessee and gives something to Tennessee that seems kind of unjust from Tennessee's side of it is what precedent does that set in the future for other programs? I mean, Tennessee, it feels like they did everything they could do on the front end after their own internal investigation to fire people, to clean house, to do it ASAP as soon as they knew, you know, as soon as they started their own investigation and got results. What precedent does that set moving forward? Why why would other programs cooperate the way Tennessee did and act as quickly as Tennessee did if Tennessee does that and then just gets hit here? Like if, like Austin said, if it's money, that's one thing. Fans aren't going to see that. They're not going to feel that as much. It's not going to help you. It's obviously going to hurt you. And so the same thing with scholarships. But if Tennessee got hammered here, which I, I assume won't happen, but if that did, I just I don't understand what kind of precedent that would set moving forward with NCAA, with other yeah. programs wanting to play ball with them. If well, they punish Tennessee here, I think you'd immediately see uh, legal action on Tennessee's part to sue the NCAA right. if that if that is the case. So, I mean. I, 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 Hubs has been saying that for a while now. It, it doesn't make any sense. It behooves everybody to, you know, hit you with some, you know, some fines, a few more scholarships, and and move on. Yeah, I mean, I think that again. Remember, Greg great camera work, by the way. I, I mean, was going to say, look at this footage. This is top notch. Oh yeah, it's it's some. Top right, let me go ahead and fill you in on what was said right here. Yeah, yeah, I gotta go over and talk to my buddy Brent. Hey, Brent, where's Alice? <laughs> what are you doing here in this lobby? <laughs> that's that's pretty much it. And then um, his wife said, "I didn't recognize you with a camera in my face." Um, <laughs> that's how that conversation went at seven fifteen on Wednesday morning when, when the hearing got started. I, I do think remember this too about Greg Sankey, Tennessee, the SEC commissioner. He is a former. Um, committee of infractions member. Uh, he was still on the committee of infractions actually when Ole Miss went in front of the, the NCAA for their hearing. Now, obviously, he wasn't a part of that panel because that's a conflict of interest, but he was still on the committee then. He was also co head of the transformation committee, which is the leading reform in NCAA. And part of that reform uh, grant is don't punish the innocent punish the guilty, punish the coach, punish the assistant coach, but not the kids who had nothing to do with that. Now, the outlier in all of that is Oklahoma State with their basketball program because there were kids and that program was punished with a bunch of kids who were still in high school when they received their their postseason ban and, and couldn't play and then lost Peel to, and, and had to set out the tournament. 
Um, so that's the the fly and the ointment, if you will. But but I think Greg Sankey's presence um, at this w- was was calculated. I know that the SEC always sends people there. They had two people there, and again, Greg Sankey had lunch. He was huddled with Tennessee's brass um, the entire time that they were there. And um, again, look at that camera work. Spoke on spoke on Tennessee's basically on Tennessee's behalf. It's not it's now in Casey. Go now, ahead. when Casey asks you or says she doesn't recognize you behind that phone, well, I mean, what's your response? Do you say, hold still, I need some art for the front of my website or, or what? No. Smile. No, I, I didn't do that. I kind of I kind of moved on. I think my next question was, how are the kids? Smart. Because <laughs> it was a little 720 uneasiness at that point. And I'll tell you, I mean, it's really kind of a bizarre deal. In all in in all seriousness, you're setting Adam Sparks and I were sitting at a basically just a, a table with two chairs next to a column. Okay, so I was facing that room there. the The media the hearing room was off to my left because I was facing where the Tennessee people were coming out. Adam was facing me. He was seeing where Jeremy Pruitt and Casey came out, and we both could see the elevator. So they take a break, and people come out. And they know you're there and eye contact is just inevitable, right? Like they come out, they look at you and you look at them, but it's kind of like, what, 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 what's up? Like <laughs> you're kind of looking for any kind of read. Is somebody upset? Is, you know, is, is, is something not go well in there? What, what, what do you make of this person's body language? Did they, it was, were they moving fast just really because they had to go to the bathroom or were they moving fast because they were mad you know, you're you're trying to sort of figure all of that part of it out, and um, profiling is probably not my greatest strength. So uh, I don't know that from that standpoint that you learned a whole lot. But um, it, it was it's a really pretty fascinating process that that they go through, and and how that room is set up, and and the fact that you can't the the committee on infractions dictates all the conversation, so you have. You have the committee, um, the enforcement committee that presents the penalty, the violation, which is kind of like the prosecution, right? They present what it is. They present all their evidence they want to present out of the hours upon hours upon hours of interviews they've done. They present that to the committee on infractions. Then the committee of infractions can ask Pruitt and his people questions. They can ask Tennessee and their people questions, but Pruitt can't. Like if he can't engage with Tennessee and Tennessee can't engage with Jeremy Pruitt, like there's no back and forth between it. You know, somebody says something you don't agree with. You can't say, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not right. You know what I mean? It's, it's really very procedural that way, which is, which is kind of a a fascinating deal. And um, no cross examinations. Come on now. No, not with lawyers. I mean, lawyers aren't going after Tennessee's lawyers are not going after you know, Jeremy Pruitt and Casey Pruitt and Jeremy Pruitt's lawyers are not going after Philip Fulmer and Dondi Plowman. Um, that's just hey, not good one went after him, though. Look at him back here in the background. That's, that's not how the <laughs> not how the procedure goes. And so, um, again, we'll we'll see what comes out. It feels like when when everything broke late Thursday, there was just a sense of relief that it was over because um, you kind of got wind that, hey, they're going to plow through and get this thing done at about 3.30 in the afternoon, 4 o'clock. Like, so everybody's like, we're getting ready to get out of here tonight as opposed to Friday, which was which made everybody happy. But Tennessee seemed more, I don't want to say relaxed, 
but they they seemed a little more um, their body language looked a little different on Thursday than it did on Wednesday. So I don't know if that means everything went well. I, I think Tennessee probably feels like it went about as well as it could go for them. But but exactly what that means, we'll find out sometime probably in the month of June. If that Where can we sign up for your class? You're going to teach a body reading body language class, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. If it proves to be true, then hubs will inevitably get asked by lawyers <laughs> to go and set in on and the police to go and set in on body language uh, deals and, no. and analyze tape. Now, with that said, I, I do think looking back, we made the mistake as a staff. We should have went with Grant to Cincinnati. He would have hunch, hunkered down in the back of the room like Andy and Barney did when they they caught Miss Letch, you know, for selling that car with the wood chips in the in the in the, in the deal. So sawdust, sawdust. Um, uh, All right, so six to eight weeks, right? <laughs> do what? Six to eight weeks, right? Yeah, before... yeah. I, I, that's that's what we think is is six to eight weeks. Um, some people have asked the question as to why, um, why so long. I don't have a great answer on that because uh, on Friday morning, um, I I got I went from my room. I was leaving to come home. I went from my room. And I said, well, I'll, I'm going to go past the ballroom one more time in this lobby area just to see if they've cleaned up the room or if anybody's around. And the, the PR person for the NCAA was walking when I, the elevator door was open. She was walking into the room and I waited on her to come back out. And I, I thought you guys were all leaving yesterday. And she said, no, the committee on infractions was having breakfast together before they all departed. Now, I don't know why you can't work towards a resolution that day and, and kind of put it to bed. But instead, everybody goes their separate ways all across the country, California, Colorado, New York, Atlanta, Texas. Um, and then at some point, I guess they'll get on a Zoom call. They may reconvene somewhere else and get in a room and then hammer out whatever punishment they want to, you know, they want to hammer out here over the course of the next, you know, six to eight weeks is, is kind of what it appears at, at this point that it's going to be. So hopefully everybody has a feel for things. I know there's a, a thread on the board um, that we're talking about. Some people are like, you know, if they get fined, Dondi Plowman should be gone and this, that, and the other. A fine is a fine's coming. Tennessee's going to get fined. Now, to what degree and how steep that fine is, is up for, for plenty of debate. Okay. For example, Air Force was penalized with some level one infractions for bringing recruits on campus during COVID. Now there was no cash exchange, right? They, they, they weren't, nobody was giving a mama some money for medical care or whatever was going on there. Um, was in the Tennessee case, but they were fined. I think $175,000 is what Air Force was fined for their level one infractions. Um, Ole Miss's fine does not seem steep, but they had two years of postseason ban. Every fan out there would rather Tennessee write a check out of that $80 million that the SEC is going to give them for TV money and say, let's go to a bowl game and move on. And I think that's what Tennessee is hoping for. And um, I don't want to say is optimistic. I mean, feels probably a little better about right now than they did rolling into Cincinnati. Anybody complaining about a fine and – you know, a handful of more scholarships has no no sense of reality about the situation. That that was always going to happen. You just wanted to avoid what Hubs just said. Because again, as I'll state for the four hundredth time, fans don't ever see any of that. They never saw the first sixteen they gave. Never saw one of them. Nope. 
and, and see, the reason Grant couldn't go to Cincinnati and hunker down in the back of that NCAA hearing room is because Tennessee basketball had a really busy week this past week. Dalton connects, Jordan Ganey, Santiago Vesvi coming back, Chris Ledlam. Grant, how different does this basketball program look today than it did just five days ago? Completely different. And we waited and we waited and we waited and it was almost a month before anybody did anything. And then suddenly it was just one after the other, one after the other. I think Jordan Ganey committed during the orange and white weekend. Um, I don't know why he set Tuesday for the date, but that was just the date he set. And then it's just like, whatever happens after that, it just keeps going one after the other. Santi goes Tuesday night. They get Chris Ledham uh, Wednesday when everybody kind of thought he was an Indiana lean. And then Dalton Connect, another guy that uh, just another crazy recruitment kind of, I don't know, wild how rapidly it came together really with no connections on Tennessee's end. It really just started with a cold call uh, and then a Zoom meeting and trying to get him on campus. And uh, for Tennessee to go two for two with Chris Ledlam and Don Connects is crazy to me because I thought there was a chance they might go 0 for two on those guys. And then you're kind of resetting your board and trying to figure out what's next. So, uh, and I don't think they were the biggest NIL offer for either of those guys. I think it was uh, something this staff was doing that um, I don't know how they did it. I don't know how they won both of them. They went back to Boston on Wednesday to get Chris Ledlam to kind of seal the deal there. I think that's what happened there. And he recruited to Rick after dinner in Boston. Uh, And with Ledlam, I mean, uh, with connect, it was just a, kind of a persistence thing where they got him on campus. They sold him on the, the spring game in Tennessee fans and the kind of the passion that was at Neyland Stadium and him watching Tennessee fans treat Tennessee basketball players the way they do around campus uh, and the facilities. And he sees it as a kind of a springboard situation where he can come here for one year and do his thing and get to the next level like he wants to do. So for them to go two for two uh, and to get Jordan Ganey and to get Santi to announce that he's coming back, uh, it's a huge week because uh, we'd been waiting forever and, and finally something happened and it started happening really fast. Grant, those were the two guys that, that visited, right? And and that Correct. was, that was kind of it. Some people will suggest that was their top two priorities. Do you think that was the case or do you think they emerged as the top two priorities because they emerged as the two guys that had the most interest in Tennessee? Chris Ledlam was a pretty big priority from the start. Uh, okay. Rick knew Chris, had watched Chris during the season at some point. There was like a Harvard UMass game where Chris was watching – I mean, uh, Rick was watching UMass because Frank Martin, his dude, is the UMass head coach. And, and I think Chris Ledham had 25 and 10 in that game. And they kind of put a pin in that, like, we like this kid. If, if he's going to move on, maybe keep an eye on him. And then Tennessee loses in New York to Florida Atlantic in the Sweet 16 back in late March. And Rod Clark goes to Boston the next day to meet Chris Ledlam and uh, Chris had an Indiana visit, and everybody kind of felt like he was leaning toward Indiana. I know Indiana thought he was theirs to lose, um, and then they get him on campus uh, for that official visit. So he was always a pretty big priority, and then obviously going back to Boston kind of shows you what kind of priority he was. Dalton Connect was a little bit different where they just kind of they saw his film. They liked him. They didn't know how much of a chance they would have going after him, but they decided to go after him anyway. So they make that call, that first call. There's no connection to him with the staff or anybody around him um they didn't talk for about a week he went on indiana or sorry he went on an oregon visit and everybody kind of thought oregon might be the team to beat there uh they had a long conversation another phone call uh, then the zoom meeting then they scrambled to get an official visit set um so he became a very big priority once they realized hey we might have a shot at this guy so yeah they were there were two huge priorities they just kind of developed in different ways grant what's the numbers look like right now (laughs) <laughs> Good luck. Um, 
14, I think we're sitting on 14 right now. That's not a, that's assuming Joe's gone, which I, I think that's the case. That's assuming Julian's not back because Don Connect's Twitter bio says he's Tennessee men's basketball number two, and that was Julian's number. So <laughs> some kids already swapped his jersey number before he's before he's even claimed his spot. I mean, the body's not even cold. <laughs> right, Rick said last week, like we don't put a deadline on them. We're gonna they they we don't really have a ton of conversations with them because they need to go out and get their own feedback from their, their own conversations with other uh, people in basketball and, and the next step and all that stuff. But at the same time, it's kind of like you know what, you better claim your spot because we're actively recruiting and trying to, like Rick said, we have to have a team in, in next season. We have to have a roster built for next season. I think obviously Santi got his nil situation figured out, but I don't think it's any coincidence that he finally announces something Tuesday night when the kind of dominoes start falling for this 2023-24 roster. And, you know, you want to claim your spot. If you're trying to come back here, man, you better, you better let them know. Because, I mean, I think Josiah thought he could go through the process and not have an answer until May. And Tennessee was just going to sit and wait. These programs can't do that. They can't sit and wait until late May to try to figure out what their roster is going to look like for the next season. So, uh, they're at 14 right now. I don't know what happens. Everybody asks about Jordan Ganey and being a walk-on and all that stuff. Every time I've asked about Jordan, it's a scholarship player. It's a scholarship situation. You're wrong. Um, could that change? I guess so. I, I don't know. I haven't heard anything about it changing. Thank you, Eric Kane. You're helping my case here. <laughs> uh, you're helping. You're helping me with these questions that keep. I mean, I don't know what. I don't know. If somebody leaves. I don't. I don't know. BJ Edwards has talked about sticking around and, and stuff that he could do next year. I don't know if that changes. I wouldn't run DJ Jefferson off because I like his uh, future, his upside, uh, kind of the way he uh, worked his freshman year and kind of the attitude he has over the whole situation and just from a talent and skill level. So I don't I don't know. The numbers, as they say, famously always work themselves out. I just don't know how we're going to get to that point where they are worked out. No, but i tell you what. Like when you think about, you know, um, what you just talked about with like how coaches are having to kind of just build and not – you know, I mean, like, unless it's just somebody that, like, you know, you got to have back and you're willing to right. wait on. You, I mean, like, I asked Rick about that at the caravan on Wednesday. Like, I mean, like, do you, do you wish there was a more defined, like, okay, here's the portal window, but it's only after the draft window. And that way you can kind of have a feel for what you have and what you don't have. And I mean, I mean, he indicated, like, yeah, it would be great if we could come up with some type of solution, but I'm not sure that's really doable because, I mean, all the, it's so many moving parts and all these kids want to be able to, get to a new school slash, you know, take their time on the NBA draft process. Well, so what you're suggesting is the calendar's messed up? Yeah, stunned. What a stunned, what a stunned shocking event that the calendar you doesn't make sense. You want, you want to talk about the run game? Stunned. <laughs> stunned. <laughs> I mean, the, I was thinking about that the other day. Like, if you if you didn't open the portal until a certain date and it was a few weeks off from the end of the season, then it's just going to turn into – this guy, this guy, and this guy are going to be entering the portal when the portal opens. And then I think that's just an extended window for tampering. And yeah. tampering is an issue and something you're really worried about, then that's probably not going to help you on that front. At the same time, you can't really move up the NBA process because all these teams or all these franchises are going through playoffs right now and all that stuff. I mean, you could probably do stuff with the, the teams that don't make the playoffs, but then that's an advantage for those teams that don't make it. Um, so it's hard to move one up or it's hard to move one back. It's, it's just, I don't know, it's a mess. So I can blame the NBA for too long of a season and everybody getting in the playoffs. Is it gonna? Have, you can gonna blame have... you can you can blame anything on anybody. You can blame <laughs> me when if uh, Jordan again he goes on walk on everybody, uh, everybody throws that quote back in my face. Here's the other thing too. I mean, from from the standpoint of 
if you're coming back, if you're going through the process and you're coming back, I mean, Josiah Jordan James is not in Knoxville. Now I know academically no. he's got a degree. It's not a big deal. But I mean, basically he's punted the semester because, because he's training elsewhere. I'm not sure. I'm not sure Phillips is in Knoxville either. So from that standpoint, all those guys are giving up the, the semester. So it, it, it is an off, the calendar is jacked up that way, but I, I'm with you. I don't know how you avoid it or how you change it. Just you almost want to but, I mean, get back to the point of if you declare, you declare, as opposed right. to declaring, going through the process, and then I can pull my name back out if I don't have an agent because you've got you've got the the golden parachute to land you know to land the plane safely if you don't get what you want you know from from an answer standpoint. But I mean, the good news in all the waiting is Tennessee was ultra aggressive. Uh, mm-hmm. They they found their targets. They went after him. Rick was really aggressive himself, kind of hands on recruiting in this portal cycle. I don't I don't know kind of what the difference is there with him, but obviously he's got to hit on some of these portal guys that he hasn't hit on in the past. And, and they they addressed some offensive issues. You would think Jordan Ganey's one of the best shooters in the portal. You know, he didn't play on a good team. He didn't play in a good conference, but he shot the ball really well. And he's coming into a situation where he's not going to be leaned on that heavily. He's not going to be the best guy on the floor. He's just going to have to be a guy that finds open shots and knocks them down. Uh, Dalton Connect's a guy that really, really skilled offensively, not so skilled defensively, but get him here, get his offense here, and then see what you can do on the defensive end and develop that. And, and, and Go that, ahead, Austin. And, I was gonna say, and that's where Rick's got, you know, I think he's adapted yes. some to the NIL game and portal game in the last month. Um, I think this is where he's got to continue to adapt is like it's okay if he gives up a few points as long as yes. he's scoring them back. You, you know, this whole like, you know, if you don't play defense just like I want, you don't play stuff. I mean, that's that's fine and dandy, but at the same time, I think you've got to have a little give there. Like there's got to be a little give. I'm not saying he can be an Olay defender, but, you, you know, as long as he can put the ball in the basket, you know, not being the elite defender is to me okay. I think Rick feels like he's he's done really well with the undersized forwards and the three star kind of kids like a Jordan Ganey and like a Chris Ledlam. I mean Chris Ledlam, they showed him Grant Williams, they showed him Admiral Schofield, they showed him PJ Tucker, they showed him all these guys that similar size that Rick has had a lot of success with. And that's great. But I think I agree where Rick has to adapt. Uh, just in general is give up some defense for offense. Like you can you don't have to be top five defensively you can still be top 25 defensively if that means you can be not 64th offensively I mean if you can get both of those closer to the top 20 that's what successful teams in March have they play on both ends of the floor at a, at a high level uh, but more so than anything they score the basketball and they're really good offensively so get these guys and uh, get Dalton connect and, and, and get Jordan Ganey and shooters and drivers and and get them here and then figure out the defensive stuff later because the defense has been there and you haven't seen the results you want to see in March. Um, so now get the offense going, and maybe that changes. All right, we're going to grab a quick word from our friends over at Exterior Home Solutions here in just a couple of minutes. But before that, Jeremiah's Heard commits to Tennessee, class of 2024. Uh, Austin, extremely high upside from a guy that is brand new to the game, but uh, Tennessee found him. Tennessee got him to campus a couple of times. Tennessee made a, made a move, and he went ahead and committed to Tennessee, a guy that's uh, could be a, It's going to be a project player, but a guy that could be something down the line. Well, I think he's got first-round NFL talent potential from a size standpoint. Again, he's got to love the game a little bit more or, or, or buy into the game a little bit more. Um, you know, he's only played one year of football, but he's a legit 6'7 and change. Like, that's measured out. 
like legit six, seven and change. He has 300 pounds. He has 36 inch arms and he has 11 inch hands. Like you, you th those are attributes you cannot teach. And so, you know, when you, when you start looking at, you know, body size, I think that's where this, this program has gotten better. They've gotten bigger body players across the board, whether it be a running back with a Cam Selden, whether it be at, you know, Leo with Caleb Herring and James Pierce, you, you just start looking at length, size, all that stuff. And, and Jeremiah's Hurd is someone who I think ends up moving to the offensive line probably sooner rather than later. And again, I think, you know, if it clicks, has big time potential because I think he is a big time athlete. 10 commits so far for the class of 2024. Kind of progress reports uh, on this class compared to the rest in the top 10 around the uh, around the country. Well, they're doing really well. I think they've done a nice job with what they've gotten thus far. Now, as pointed out in the war room, as pointed out on the general's quarters, Tennessee is in excellent shape with a bunch of blue chippers. Now, you still got to get them across the finish line. You still got to continue to recruit them like you're, you know, third and not first as far as the recruitment standpoint. But they've done a really good job of, you know, being in it with Williams and Narani. They're doing a great job, you know, with, with, with Jaden Riddell. They've done an excellent job just in the Midwest in general. I mean, like they're racking up over there as far as being in it. Uh, Ryan Wingo, the Lindstrom kid, also from St. Louis, just down in Arkansas with Braylon Russell, Peyton Lewis over in the state of Virginia, um, Cam Franklin. Rodney will be by to see he and Williams both this week, um, you know, as, you know, two of the biggest targets, if not the two biggest targets on Tennessee's board. So, you know, Tennessee's done a really nice job of being a major factor for a bunch of these blue chippers. They've just got to land their fair share. Mike Matthews, another one. Um, you know, again, Tennessee doesn't have to land them all. They just got to close some of them out and land their share. And if that happens, then this, this class can, I think, can be really, really good. Hey, Austin, I want to, we haven't talked about this. This is a bigger picture thing, but you talk to kids more than I do, obviously. What do you make of the NCAA rule change for unlimited unofficial, unlimited official visits for prospects? Do you think we'll see literally see kids taking 10 or 12 visits, or do you think schools are going to curtail back and go, you know what, we only got 56, we're not bringing in – a bunch of guys that were seventh or eighth for our coach is going to go eighth. We get them on campus. We got a shot and they're going to bring a bunch of guys in. I think it's going to be a mixture hubs. Cause I think that, you know, early on, you know, with early visits, the last thing you just said about, Hey, we get them on campus. We got a shot. I think that is going to be the, the, the case. And then at the last minute, late in the process, if you got some visits to burn, why not shoot your shot? But I think in the middle, you'll still you'll see them start to kind of, yeah, let's wait. We might bring you in. Let's kind of see where things are. You know, you're talking about this school, this school, and this school ahead of us. Doesn't make much sense. Let's kind of see where this thing plays out over the next few weeks and months. And so I think that's kind of where, you know, I think at different stages of the process, you'll see schools kind of change how they view things that's the interesting part of all this because it's unlimited for kids now but the number stays the same for schools so like that that that, that part of it's a bit of a head scratcher but it all at the same time it doesn't make it just a free-for-all for you know schools and kids to bring in 
you know, a hundred different kids on official visits. Would be but for here. the but for the record, I mean, most schools don't use their entire official visit allotment. That's right. Six, and then you can roll over six if you don't use them. Most, most schools are operating around sixty every year when you count the rollover factor. Most most schools don't bring in sixty official visitors in a year. So my, I just wonder how much it's really going to change or not going to change in terms of the school's perspective. I, I think with a guy like Ryan Wingo, Ryan Wingo will take a bunch of official visits. I think he'll take the four in June. I think he'll take more than that. Uh, or I think he'll take another three or four in the fall. Um, you know, Tennessee's one that I think he, he's going to take in the fall. He wants to wait and come to a game and do an official visit for a, for a weekend for a game um, instead of taking one in June, which again, I think that's a good thing for Tennessee. Um, He's been here. He knows it on both sides. And I think, you know, get him here for another good atmosphere and kind of see where it goes. And then, you know, um, you know, I, I think each kid's going to be different, though. Like, if you got a parent that's just kind of over the process, right. maybe they let their kid take a couple of visits without them that, hey, just go have fun. Go to Oregon or whatever. But if you're at that school, if, if mom or daddy's not getting on the plane to come with them to see – you know, I'm like, I'm not sure. Yeah, what there's been enough that. evidence over the years, hubs of, of, you know, kids getting on a campus without their parents and then making a knee jerk deal. And then just telling their parents, Hey, this is where I want to go. I fell in love with it. You know, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So, I mean, like you could look at it a hundred different ways. Right. That's good. That's right. All right. Tennessee has 10 commits for the class of 2024. The latest coming on Friday, a big lineman by the name of Jeremiah's heard. Six foot seven and change, about two ninety five. Uh, one year of football experience already, but uh, some of the big schools are going to continue uh, to, to call that one as the time goes on. Uh, who was that baseball team that took down Vanderbilt in sweeping fashion this past weekend? We'll talk a little Tennessee baseball here in just a moment, but first, a word from our proud sponsors, Exterior Home Solutions. Your roof—it's the most important protection against nature for your home or your business. That's why I trust the experts at Exterior Home Solutions. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Thanks to our good friends at Exterior Home Solutions for their continued support of the podcast. What a funny game baseball is, Eric Kane. You're down to your last strike. Austin Price calls his shot. I got, we'll get to that one in just a minute. Um, but he calls his shot, and, and Tennessee uh, ties that game with two with, with a great home run and then a, a golf shot for a home run, and all of a sudden they find themselves a winner on Friday night. Vanderbilt never recovers. Is this what, – what do you make of the weekend as you kind of – you know, digest it and, and circle back to it. I think this is who Tennessee can be um, if it plays up to its potential every single weekend. I mean, you had a collective effort. Not one man was Superman. You didn't, for the most part, you did not make defensive mistakes. You pitched the baseball extremely well, and you had timely hitting when it mattered. Um, I mean, this is Tennessee as good as it can be when everything's clicking, right? And if you can sweep the number four team in the country in Vanderbilt – there's no reason why you can't win any other series against anybody in the country. But when you self-implode and do things that will beat yourself, 
you're not going to win those. But Tennessee didn't do that this weekend. So um, as you know, we we distance ourselves from Sunday and and you know the series sweep that was. What a weekend for Tennessee. Um, you needed a series win in the worst way. A uh, sweep would have been icing on the cake. Tennessee got that sweep that it's going to allow it maybe a gimme game if it does self-implode down the stretch to where it's a game you really need, but you you give it up. I mean, that sweep allows for one of those when you're on the track to try to get to lucky number 14 in the conference. But uh, pitching well, timely hitting, hitting with runners in scoring position, hitting with two outs, nine runs in game two uh, with, or, let's see, 11 runs in game two with two outs, a couple more run, five runs in game three with two outs. It's just you know, Tennessee did well and you know got good pitching and got great defense behind it. So that was really, really good to see. Um, kind of a a different looking Tennessee team than the one we've seen the rest of the year. You, you I said, I, I was saying, Eric, you said in your late night chat on Sunday night that uh, you think Tennessee's got a sixty five point three percent chance of being eleven and ten after this coming weekend, which means they're going to sweep Mississippi State. Um, even if they don't, to have, to, let's say they win the series, to have these back to back home series when they're quote getting right. How big is that before they have to go on the road again? You know what I mean? Like you get the momentum from Vanderbilt and you don't have to go on the road right away. You get another home series. How big is that? It's huge. And I think also the fact that it's a short week maybe even works into the, the favor of Tennessee as well. You take you know one day off break, you go hit the midweek, you have a day off, and then you're back at it, right? And you know Mississippi State, anybody's good enough in this league to beat anybody, but Mississippi State has struggled this year. So you remain at home playing against a very winnable opponent. Um, kind of earlier in the week, the Thursday through Saturday. I, I just think it's huge. Um, sweeping in Southeastern Conference play is hard to do. So even if you don't sweep Mississippi State, uh, which is very possible, even if you don't, you're still walking away from that weekend if you, you know, continue this momentum and play the way that you're capable of playing at you know a game over 500 or, or right at 500 in the SEC, and that is that, that that's really really good. Heading on the road to Georgia, which is capable of doing a little bit of everything. Back home against Kentucky, which has had a really solid season so far, and then on the road to South Carolina in this thing. You need 14 wins, so I think these back-to-back home series, especially coming off a sweep of Vanderbilt, I think that's just huge for Tennessee to try to get right and take advantage of being a home. All right, so, Grant, I'll ask it to this. This is just a big-picture deal. Is this weekend more about Tennessee getting right, or is it more about Vanderbilt not recovering from what happened to them Friday night? I would vote Tennessee getting right because of what Eric talked about and the number of ways we've seen this Tennessee team kind of implode and, and beat itself. Uh, I think, you know, this Tennessee team's not as good as obviously in the past and they've shown that. I don't know if that's talent level. I don't know if that's leadership. I don't know. I'm not around them every day like Eric is and whatever, but for them to put it together and win the way they did Friday night and then to come back Saturday, you know, pretty quick turnaround for a noon game and to do what they did early in that game with two outs and to have that kind of response, and then to come out Sunday, I kept thinking Sunday, like, will they have the same response or would they come back and just kind of, you know, let Vanderbilt do something and, and end the weekend on a bad note for them to score the runs the way they did early in that game as well uh, and to hit the home runs the way they did and to pitch the way they did and to just kind of play clean baseball uh, and not make those mistakes that we've been making, uh, the base pass and, the you know, the just the simple drop fly balls and stuff like that and not kind of implode on yourself, I thought it was more about Tennessee. And obviously sweeping Vanderbilt, it's, it's no better time for Tennessee baseball to get right and to find something. But I think it's more about Tennessee than about Vanderbilt. I, I think for me, it, you know, it's uh, – they just play good complimentary baseball. Um, you know, I mean, Friday night it was pitching and fielding that kind of allowed Tennessee to stay in it until the bats actually 
woke up a little bit and then the bats woke up and then the pitching continued, um, you know, into the weekend. I mean, Bradfield didn't have a, a hit until the, what, the seventh or eighth inning of game three. Didn't um, steal a bag all weekend. I mean, yeah, I mean, they, that, that, that was huge. I think this team, and, and I talked about this with Tony on Vol Club Confidential. I talked about it with, with Griffin Merritt. I talked about it with several of those guys. I think this team tried so hard early on because it's not their maybe persona to be as brash and cocky as last year's group. But I think they tried so hard. It was like they went the other direction. They started having a little bit of fun this weekend. And it was, to me, it was even before the two home runs in the ninth. Like there was some fire out of Camden Sewell Friday night. There was fire out of Chase Burns, you know, with some big strikeouts because they knew that they were keeping their team in the game. And so all of a sudden, they do hit the home runs, and here comes a little trash talk, and here comes you know the fur coat, and the daddy hat, and all the all the fun um, things that they get to have in the dugout. It just seemed like you know maybe this is just who we need to embrace. Let's just go be it. Maybe even if it's not individually who we are as people, collectively it's who we've got to be to get a little juice. Yeah, and no, I just think I think playing well just fuels all that confidence and, and you said it I mean giving yourself an opportunity to be in baseball games and to win those baseball games even when you're heading to the seventh inning and I think Tennessee had one hit but we're still putting barrel on the ball and still I mean I was texting you guys Friday nights I mean I was like hey win or lose you said this is the best game they played all year this is the best game Tennessee's played all year because they're having good ABs they're pitching well they're playing incredible defense you're not finding turf but but they're putting barrel on the ball and all that type of stuff um, but you you felt like you could still win that game, and ultimately you you know went on and won that game. And by the way, how ridiculous was Vanderbilt's defense this weekend? My God, that one that play, play Friday, that play Friday night week. was one of the best plays I've ever seen. Based the, on how he he flipped it and had to adjust, the guy throwing it had to adjust. He barehand catches it and basically throws it in one motion after he didn't even really think he was getting the ball. The old five insane. six three put out at first is how you scored if you're keeping track at home. Yeah, I mean, it, it was – and I thought – I mean, I just thought it was – obviously, Tennessee got their bats going. They hit a bunch. But, I mean, it, you know, Maui made some plays and shortstop and hole that we've not seen out of him. You know, obviously, you mentioned the play Vanderbilt. I mean, it was really well-played baseball all the yeah. way around. Now, I know Tennessee's bats came alive. Vanderbilt didn't pitch very well. But but the rest of the stuff was, was, was really, really good. Is Tony set now – Eric, kind of with who they are, where they are. Is Burns going to stay in the pen? Is that his new role, you think? What's – I mean, Tony's talked even back in February that it would take him weeks to get everything sort of probably sorted out. Are they sorted out based on this weekend? Well, I mean, as long as Andrew Lindsay and Dolander and Beam are throwing that way, then absolutely, right? Don't give any reason to, to move it around again. And uh, Chase Burns is such a weapon. He was incredible this weekend. Friday night was – I mean, you and I both kind of had a thread going there, Brent. Th- that was that was fun to watch. That was incredible. I mean, that would rival anything from college baseball this weekend. Um, having that in the back end of your bullpen, not to just be a closer per se, but to come in and, and maybe in the seventh inning and get through the, the heart of the order, maybe come in close the last two innings out of the ballgame, whatever it is, it, it's incredible. And he hit, se- he hit triple digits, I want to say, seven times on Friday night. In nine batters' face, he struck out seven of them. Just incredible and of course he came in and, and finished off things on Sunday so you know we'll see I think right now for sure um Andrew Lindsay's giving you a whole lot of confidence on Friday nights Chase Dolander is pitching better than he has all year long now being bounced back um you've got Halverson you've got Sewell and then of course you got Chase Burns 
and you feel really kind of good about where the pitching is right now. Um, as far as the lineup is, this is six straight SEC starts that Cal Stark has caught. And so I think you're seeing that, like, hey, they like Dickey, you know, hitting better when he's playing left field. They love the option of having either Kavars Tears or Dylan Dryling off the bench. And, hey, that worked out pretty well on Friday night. And so I think you're really kind of seeing who you are with Hunter Inslee, Christian Scott, and then some combination of Dickey, if he's not behind the plates, and or Tears and or Dryling in the outfield with the other DHing and the other coming off the bench. And, oh, yeah, Griffin Merritt's who got his bat back in the lineup this weekend and, and had a great weekend. So I think in both instances, in the, in the staff and, of course, in the lineup, you're kind of figuring out exactly what your role is, and it's it's looking like more defined now than it ever has. Yeah, and the throw from right field in the, what, 11th inning, 10th Incredible. inning? Incredible. Whatever it was, I mean, that was that was big time to play that carom off the wall the way, the way that it did to get that out there to help Chase Burns out. Just a fun weekend. And Tennessee loves playing Vanderbilt. Seven straight, is that right? Eight Seven straight, straight longest streak since 93-94 season when they won eight straight. That was when Boomer Whipple was coaching the Vanderbilt. <laughs> I think was his name there. Um, Tim Corbin did not look like he was having a whole lot of fun. No. no. <laughs> he, he did not enjoy himself. His, his hey. post-game interviews were fun to watch. Yeah, I'll say this. But, <laughs> Tennessee gave the fans a lot, to, a lot to cheer about. But, you know, Tony made mention of this after the series, and I completely agree with him. The fans in attendance were engaged. They were paying attention. They knew what was going on. They made life hell for Vanderbilt. I mean, it was kind of funny at times. So, I mean, shout out to all the Tennessee fans who are in the stands. I think that they, uh, you know, truly kind of made a difference. The standing ovation at the end of the first inning for the for, for, for in the first inning when the pitcher was replaced was it was great. People were you know waving by and everything. It was funny. Was was pretty. Uh... Pretty entertaining for sure. A uh, big weekend for Tennessee baseball. Obviously, a big opportunity for them this week. Short week, as Eric mentioned. And um, we got the draft coming up this week. We'll dive into some draft talk uh, in the Mailbag podcast on Thursday, which will be the day of the first round of the NFL draft, which consistently, Eric, seems to have Darnell Wright and Hendon Hooker's name flashing up there. Yep, Darnell Wright's going to be a first-round pick. We'll see about Hendon Hooker, but uh, Grant, you've been doing those projections, and I think that you're going to see at least four balls in the top 60, probably. Um, but, of course, we'll we'll see exactly what that is. But uh, all that and more projections, reactions, um, everything you want Tennessee draft-related, Tennessee baseball, recruiting, football, basketball, whatever it is, always check us out over at VolQuest.com. Big shout-out to our friends Exterior Home Solutions for making this coverage possible. A free estimate. Give them a call today at 865-524-5888. Like this video. Subscribe to VolQuest on the YouTube channel if you haven't already. And uh, chat with us over on the general quarters at VolQuest.com. For Brent Hubs, Grant Ramey, Austin Price, I am Eric Kane. Appreciate you guys for tuning in to this edition of the VolQuest Podcast. You've been listening to the VolQuest Podcast every week here on VolQuest. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.